0: Every student of business should read Peter Drucker. For a starting point, I'd read The Effective Executive and make sure to read the introduction. Also, every business student should read Roger Martin, and he's the co-author of the best book I've ever read on strategy playing to win. I love it because it's simple, it's concise, it's pragmatic, the concepts are sticky roger has a new book out it's called a new way to think and if you like the writing of dan pink matthew may or even adam grant you will love this book i'm mark gandy this is cfo bookshelf i can't wait to dive into our conversation with roger martin and his newest book a new way to think As I was thinking about planning for my conversation with Roger Martin, Patrick Lynchione came to mind. I would pay really, really good money to hear Patrick interview Roger, and ditto for Matthew May or Dan Pink.
1: Well, I'd be happy to be interviewed by uh, any of those. In in, uh, in particular, Dan is a is a really good friend. We we sort of I think are sort of on the same wavelength of trying to take stuff in management that might seem esoteric and confusing and just make it appropriately simple. There's no need to make stuff utterly complicated to make yourself feel good. Uh, I think, I think Dan and I kind of share, share that uh, writing ethic. So, and, and plus he's, he's funny as hell. I mean, the guy is hilarious.
0: If Dave Letterman was sitting across from you, here's what he would say. I think, I, I think his team would come up with this this line. He'd say, "Your writing is so prolific because you've written about twelve or plus books. Uh, yep. You write you, you, there. You can I can find you on HBR. You got some great articles uh, on that publication." He would say something to the effect that if Robert Caro. We're writing about you. He'd need three volumes to write about you as he did with LBJ. Uh, wh- wh- how, wh- where does all this writing come from, Roger?
1: Well, I I like it, and so uh, right. So if people like golf. People often don't ask them, well, why do you play 150 rounds a year? It's like duh, I like it. So so part of it part of it is I like it. I, I honestly. Uh, do. Um, And, and I guess I, I've always loved sort of looking at the world and trying to simplify it, say, what, what does this mean? Um, And that's, that's, that led me to start writing and people seem to like it. They'd say, "Oh, you helped explain this thing that is that was always sort of mystifying me." Um, so I get positive feedback uh, for it. And then over time, you just get sort of efficient at it. So, so as you as you know, I and I'm, I'm now have been, and I'm just waiting for myself to like say I have no more ideas. But I've been writing this this plain to win practitioner insight uh, uh, blog series on Medium. And I started it in October, 2020 and have done one every week, uh, since, uh, and it's 1500 to 1800 words and they, they just keep coming. Uh, I keep having conversations, but I do a lot of work with executives and whatever they're interested in, I tend to find, gee, I bet a bunch of other people are interested in. So, so just, just write about it. So I guess I, I have material, Uh, And I have a way of writing, a process for writing that makes it not so hard. And so I just write a lot. And I guess the other thing I think is is whenever these executives will say, "Well, Roger, what about this or what about that," I realize I've I've had a bunch of thinking on that, but had forgotten completely that I had any thinking on that until spurred by the question. And so I have this sort of feeling that there's going to be all sorts of stuff deep in the recesses of my mind that I will that will be gone forever unless when spurred by a question like that, I write it down.
0: One of your posts, again, I've been binge reading some of your posts. Your, your writing is addicting, by the way. One of the right. posts that led me to reach out to you, you wrote on OKRs. We've had, hmm. I think, three or four episodes on OKRs. Uh, been a more one of the prolific thinkers in OKRs uh, globally. But your post, your post on OKRs, where you compare it with strategy, I thought was brilliant. And I think the the big takeaway is OKRs does not equal strategy. Is is that did did I interpret that correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and sort of the way I think about it is they're complements, not substitutes. I think they're treated a lot, especially in Silicon Valley, where they're where they're like. Treat with sort of divine respect uh, is that if you <clears throat> set out OKRs, you will get them. And I'm like, whoa! I mean, I watched this at a time. All well, we had these OKRs, and we just didn't execute well enough. You know, no. I looked at your strategy, and it was like there's no way in the world you're going to achieve that objective or those key results with that strategy. Uh, and that's that's the origins of the of the post. It's sort of like. You know, stop acting as if you if you say there's something you want to have happen, it will happen. It won't. I mean, it's helpful to say you want something to happen because then you can figure out what you have to do to make that happen. Right. Uh, and, and in my vernacular, it's making some key strategic choices that put you in a position so that you can have what happened, uh, what you want to have happen actually happen. But that's that piece of. Figuring out a strategy that would put you in a position to achieve the OKRs uh, just is left out. And it's to me, it's scary. Right. You deploy. You say, oh, well, let's have this objective. And then we got to deploy these OKRs to all these people. and, And I'm like sitting there saying, are you mad? Like, do you really think that'll make it happen? And the answer is. Damn sure. And I just sit there, <laughs> sit there, you know, kind of boggled. So, like most things, most things, unfortunately, right? Like o- OKRs, most good things just get pushed to some uh, obscure extreme point that where they stop being a good thing. And that, to me, is is what's happened often for OKRs. Is it always that case? No. I'm sure there are many organizations that I have not seen that have a great strategy and then and then convert. That to OKRs that really help everything work magnificently. I just, that feels like the minority, not the, not the average or the majority by any stretch.
0: You have a new book called A New Way to Think, but I begged, I begged your publicist, can I at least ask just a couple of questions? Can I cheat? Can I slide in? Because the book, Playing to Win, which came out several years ago, in my opinion, and this is a guy who reads about 120 books a year. Proof. In my opinion, this is the most practical book I've ever read on strategy, bar none. There are some great books on strategy. This is the best I've ever read and listened to
1: on strategy. Do you want to push back, thank sir? Thank you. No, thank you. That I mean, and, and why it's the best... It makes me the happiest. You said practical. That was, that was the 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 reason. In fact, AG and I, uh, as, as some of your uh, listeners will know, it was co-authored with AG Laffley uh, G- ex-Procter and Gamble CEO. Uh, we said we want to make strategy simple, fun, and effective. Often, strategy is thought of as complicated, onerous, and it sits on your shelf and does nothing. We wanna we want to show that no, it can be simple not simplistic, but simple. It can be fun. The, the, the idea of making those choices can be fun and it can be mammothly effective at driving action. So if you said, thought it's practical, then we've in some small way, at least accomplished our goal.
0: We'll be right back. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. There are a lot of CEOs, whether it's a mom and pop operation or a Fortune 500, I'm guessing, and I'm picking this also up from your co-author, we have a strategy, but they really don't, or they may have one or it's terribly ineffective. And again, the five questions that you bring up really helps to dispel what is a good strategy. And I just the five questions I just thought, this is a grand slam.
1: I think you' I think you're right. I, there's part of me that that says it's a fallacy to say a company doesn't have a strategy. I always say a strategy is what you do. Right. It's revealed by what you do. So so everybody's got a strategy, but many, many, many of them, if you actually write them down and you can reverse engineer. If you if if I could, if you were running a business and I had a chance to talk to you for two hours uh, or maybe even an hour, I could write down your strategy and say, well, you've told me what you do. And and then if we then looked at that strategy and even then I talked to you about it and said, what? what does this assume that competitors would have to be sitting there and doing? What does this assume that customers really want? What does this assume that, that, that you'd look at it and say, oh, "None of that is true," and then I'd say, "Well, that's why your strategy isn't delivering what you what you hoped." Because if you just explored the basic logic of it, uh, you'd you'd figure out that you're you know to the five questions. Your aspiration is fuzzy. You don't have a where to play uh, that fits with your how to win. Your capabilities, your, your uh, must-have capabilities, you don't have. And others have them better than you. And your enabling management systems, if anything, disable you. So so don't be surprised. Don't blame the, your bad results on, on uh, you know, gee, we're just not we're just not executing this. No, you are. You 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 are doing exactly what you say, and and you haven't thought through the the strategy implications uh, of it. And if I, you gave me another couple of hours, I could help you help you on a path to to thinking about them. And that's why it's not that complicated. It's like hey, hey hey hey. Let's think about your where to play. You know, you're playing all over these places, and boy, that's That's a hard territory to defend all of those. You've got this competitor you told me about over here and this one over here, and they're kind of nibbling you to death like a bunch of ducks in different places. What if we chose this where to play? If we only did that and didn't do all of this other stuff, miscellaneous stuff, could you figure out a way that you could be better than anybody there? You'd say they can go over there and over there on the sides, but in this spot, you'd be I we could, we could get you heading into a, a territory and a way of competing in that territory that would enable you to build the capabilities you need to be really super at that, not just sort of like average at a whole bunch of things. Uh uh, and we could we could figure out what you have to track and measure on an ongoing basis to make sure that you stay stay there. It's as I say, it's not it's not rocket science, but you you it's really hard to just sort of lollygag your way into it. <laughs> you you sort of have to sit back and think about it.
0: I had mentioned Alan Mulally's name a few minutes mm. ago. I I started listening to your co-author. I'm assuming A. G. Lafley is also a, a good friend. Uh, I I just. Yes, he is. There, there's, there's humility. I, this, this is a man of humility. And, and I can tell he's a, a lifelong learner. In chapter eight of your book, do you mind if I read something from, from no, the chapter? It's no. in a sidebar. It's a sidebar. And, and this is brilliant. One of the best memoirs I've ever read is by Andre Agassi. And it's, oh, it's a yes, powerful, yes, yes. incredible book. And he, he, the, the second half of the book is really coming out of the valley and he needed three coaches. And I think that's a very subtle point in that book. Well, as I'm reading chapter eight, and I read this several times, and here's what AG says. And he's really talking about you. He says, I needed someone whom I could trust implicitly and could trust me, someone I could uh, work with informally and with complete confidence. They needed intellectual integrity. Moral integrity, emotional intelligence to go along with their IQ. And here, this is brilliant. They need the courage to tell the emperor when he's not wearing clothes. And as I read that, I thought it takes a lot of humility for someone in his position in a Fortune 100 company to say, I want someone at my, I need that left-hand person that can, that, that can, be that great sounding board. And I really don't have a question other than this, just to say that every CEO should read this sidebar in chapter eight.
1: Every CEO needs a coach, right? God, no, it makes me, uh, Tiro. I mean, he's, he's just a great guy, just plain and, plain and simple. But there, there's a certain sad unfairness, uh, in, in the world of, of advice, right? Which is, Perhaps of the CEOs of his, of his generation, AG was in least need of advice because he's so friggin' talented on, on his own, but he, he got all sorts of advice because of the attitude. So it is the rich getting richer in some sense, because you know Peter Drucker. He went to see Peter Drucker every every year. He and Peter Drucker were good buddies until until uh, Peter, the the you know the most brilliant management thinker in history, uh, uh, pa- uh you know passed passed away. But they were they were good buddies. Uh, and 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 AG is a big uh, supporter of the Drucker Center, by the way, uh, f- uh, philanthropically. Um, the sad thing is that people who need that most the stuff in chapter that you just said in chapter eight are least likely to reach out to get it uh and so it's a, it's so the, the the world of management is full of all these upward and downward spirals the downward spirals that they need it most but they have a bunch of defenses that prevent themselves from asking for it so they don't get it so they're in a the harder spot then the ones like a G who, who have both humility and confidence, right? It's humility, but also confidence. I'm, you know, uh, I can have conversations with these folks and and I won't be like crushed by something that they might say, which ain't going to happen, but they, they, you can fill your head full of, if you're defensive, you can fill your head full of all this, all these stories. They just get better and better and better. Like how many, how many CEOs in America went to visit Peter Drucker for a day every year? well AG did uh and and uh, and we hung around a, a whole lot and and uh, uh and you know uh it's so i i, I wish more uh, CEOs did reach out to 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 people who would tell them when they have no clothes on because god it's 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 tough to be the CEO of a like a proctor dow jones 30 type company i, I mean you have like untrammeled power and authority. Uh, And if you beat up people who come to you and tell you you've got no clothes on, you do not get told ever, (laughs) not even close to ever. You don't even get uh, told your clothes might have a, your magnificent outfit might have a tiny uh, thread hanging off of it. You don't get told that because uh, you you, you might get eviscerated uh, uh, for it. So, It's, it's, you know, AG made his life easier. Uh, Lots of these other people make their uh, CEOs make their life harder. I'd say be like AG.
0: In your book, A New Way to Think, I'll just add something about the introduction. The Effective Executive is a book that I do read annually. And I tell people, do not skip the introduction. And I'm going to say the same thing here in your book. Do not wow. skip the introduction to A New Way to Think. I, so for the sake of time, I just want to hit some big ideas. You've got really mm-hmm. essentially 14 big buckets. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. I, I would just say this is, a, this is like an MBA in a book. I would also, now that I've been reading you, I would say this is almost a compendium of maybe a lifelong work and you've been able to look at some of the most important activities, which, by the way, there is a, a section of, on activities, but it's really almost everything that a CEO or a business leader does across these 14 prisms. And I got something out of every single chapter, including the ah, one on stakeholders.
1: That's very the, the, the one kind of, of you to say it. Thank you.
0: The, the section on stakeholders, which is near the beginning of the book, it got me to thinking about the whole, I guess it's called a the theory, the the agent principle uh, theory. I don't yeah. call it a theory. I call it really, it's really, it's, it's, it's a truth. But you talk about CEOs, you talk about stakeholders, but then you bring in another stakeholder, the customer. Uh, you do a lot of consulting work. Are you still finding that there are firms that are not customer centric enough or as they should be or is that tide turning?
1: Yes, there are still many companies that that aren't and that believe that they can say it's, it's sort of like the OKR thing, they can say we want to maximize shareholder value and somehow they'll that'll happen because they said so, right? Whereas the way to, to make your shareholders happy is to delight customers, right? There are more that are, that are, uh, recognizing, uh, uh, that. Um, so I think the tide is turning. What I would say, uh, on that though, is that I would, I would encourage all companies to, in some sense, take that up a notch of sophistication. It's how are we going to serve customers uniquely? Right? so there's a whole lot of benchmarking that goes oh so they're doing that for us well we'll do that too etc and and that's that's not actually what's truly good for the world right what's truly good for the world is if you figure out how to for a certain set of customers absolutely fulfill their needs uniquely right somebody else can go after other customers and fill their needs uniquely right and if you if that happens, both companies can both make make a uh, a, a good uh, living, a good earning. Hire employees, pay them lots, and customers will be happy. Like I like I like the fact that Fidelity and Vanguard both exist. Right, they say the opposite things. Right, the late Jack Bogle, who has a who has a friend, I must admit, we liked each other's writing and uh, and would quote each other all the time, but. Uh, Jack Bogle said, "You know, investment managers who pick the stocks for you, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, uh, you're a loser because they you pay them more for that privilege than they're than they're worth. So we're going to offer index mutual funds and now index e- e- ETFs. Great. Ned Johnson up in Boston says investment managers are the most important people in our organization. They pick the stocks for your portfolios and then and earn the re, earn the better returns and 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 manage your wealth uh, the, the best, like." Couldn't be more opposite. Uh, and you'd say, well, shouldn't that be resolved in some way? No. If you believe Jack Bogle, go buy some Vanguard funds. If you believe Ned Johnson, go buy some Fidelity funds. Consumers are served better because they're served in those uniquely different uh, uh, ways. Um, and and that makes, and, and look at the history of Vanguard and Fidelity. They've grown like Sting from uh, from from inception uh, the Johnson family is one of the richest families in the world Jack Bogle because he was so communitarian vanguard uh, was a mutual mutual fund so they so the the actually investors uh, in the funds uh, got got the upside Valley Forge is delighted to have a big company Boston it's good for the world so what I would say is on this whole customer centricity thing don't converge to <clears throat> saying we're going to do what everybody else does. Figure out how you can be customer centric in a unique, uh, uh, way. And that'll do better by you. Like if you are a shareholder value fanatic, you know, that'll, that'll do, be the best thing you can do for shareholder, holder value. But if you're just good one, be great for the world, you'll make the lives of your consumers who you You're hitting the target, bullseye target for them, happier, better off. They will reward you with all sorts of uh, all all sorts of uh, uh, kind of loyalty and and, and stick with you. And you'll be able to hire more employees and you'll be able to pay them more. And the world's a better place.
0: Your chapter on culture was insanely brilliant. And the reason I yeah, the. The reason I think it was brilliant, and by the way, you mentioned—I I don't have them in my my notes—you wrote down two names that you uh, give kudos to, and Chris and Chris Ardurus,
1: Chris Ardurus, a, a, a late professor, and a woman named Diana Smith, who is a student of that, of Chris's.
0: So I know they they've been they've inspired your thinking, and that's not the first mm-hmm. time you've mentioned him in some of your your writing. But you made the comment yep. that. CEOs will typically, when they're trying to fix culture or adjust it or they're coming into a new organization, they attack it the wrong way. And you've got this simple grid framework, and you talk about the formal, the interpersonal, and the cultural. And, this, and then you mentioned steering mechanisms. Again, profound. Could you explain that quickly?
1: Sure. Sure. So what I say, an organization does the things it does uh and operates the way it operates through kind of three mechanisms there's formal mechanisms right think of your organization chart who you report to those lines those are formalized and down and down in words uh there's interpersonal how you and i if we were colleagues at work would interact maybe if you're in marketing and i'm in sales how would we interact with one another and then culture cultural mechanisms and those are what I think of as sort of the shared uh, little playbook in your head. You know, you're, what does this mean? We've had this meeting. What does this what does this mean? Do, do I do we all understand the meaning of things in similar ways or different ways? Like when you've got a strong culture, it means when something happens, everybody says, I know exactly what that means uh, and how I should in, interpret it. Um, so, you know, you know, if 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 you just if you just think about it, if you if you think about marketing and sales fighting sales saying, "Oh, marketing wants us to sell this stuff that customers don't want." Marketing says, "Sales people only want to sell the simplest stuff." And they fight in 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 person and and don't get along really well. Well, what that will do is develop a c- culture by which the interpretation of salespeople is oh, oh oh yeah 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 that's 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 what they do that's what they always do and and uh, and they disagree and, and and squabble. What will often happen is you'll try to solve that through a formal mechanism. Say, well, we're going to create a an executive vice president of marketing and sales, and that'll and that'll fix all of that uh, that squabbling because it's one one guy or one gal on top. Uh, but what you find is that just never does. Why? It's because because the that interpersonal domain kind of sits between the formal and the and the uh, and the cultural, and so those people are still going to act the same way they they uh, uh, they act, even if this executive vice president referees and says, "No, you're right this time, and you're wrong, you're wrong uh, uh, that time." So. Changing the formal mechanisms, or just the CEO saying you people have to start behaving differently, does nothing. It happens all, all the time, but it does nothing. The only thing that will change it is if you can change the way those people interact with one another. And the best way to do that, right, is to is to model it. Is to is if you are that executive vice president of marketing and sales. When the the salesperson comes to you complaining, oh, those marketing people—they're so terrible whatever you say oh let's let's go down let's go down the hall right now and let let, let's let's talk this one out and see see what we can uh what we can do and the salesperson will say oh shit i didn't want i didn't want to go and talk to that person i wanted to talk behind their back don't you understand that's more fun talking behind their back than actually having them respond and saying yes but do you realize that you're doing this whatever so you just model the idea that we work together and we work this work this out uh, uh and i'm just giving an example you can model it in many other other ways but that would be that would be a way of modeling a different kind of interpersonal behavior and that is the only thing that will change the culture change the culture of one of yes there are tensions between what marketing tries to do and what sales sales try to do there will always be tensions. Tensions you cannot get rid of tensions, but when those happen, we go and talk it out face face to face rather than upward referencing, uh, stabbing people in the back, etc. Voila, you'll have a culture of sales and marketing getting along. It's harder to think about because it's kind of retail, not wholesale. Right? Wholesale is I order you to behave differently, right? And you kind of hope that that happens. Retail is I got to go into every individual situation, but. In my experience, and I've seen this over and over and over again, it doesn't take much, right? Kremlin watching does not only happen in Moscow. You know, the behavior, the interpersonal behavior of senior people is watched like a hawk. Uh, And if you start exemplifying behavior that is the behavior that you would like to see, you're going to see a bunch of it, and it ain't going to take a long, long time for that to happen.
0: I want to be respectful of your time. There's so much richness in this book. I want to bring up one more. Yeah, shoot. You 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 don't repeat you don't repeat anything that's in playing to win, but you do decouple two words that are very near and dear to my heart. You've decoupled strategy. And let's let's turn strategy into an adjective. You've decoupled strategic in planning. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you well why why uh, when people ask me, Mark, what is strategic planning? Now, I, I work with businesses a hundred million dollars less. Hmm. Uh, my joke is that, oh, it's a two billion dollar industry and and uh, and I, I think that's I think there's some truth to that, even though there's some starkism sarcasm, sarcasm uh, to that answer, but why do even larger organizations put sometimes more emphasis on the planning? As opposed to strategy,
1: yeah, and and I would state it in more extreme terms. I, I would say there is a there are at least ten hours or ten dollars uh, in planning spent for every dollar or hour on strategy, and it may be closer to a hundred, um, because people people like to plan out things. It gives them an illusion of control, right? It's like revenue planning, right? Uh, revenue planning is a fantasy, right? The idea that you can actually plan out your revenues. Like these are independent people who decide whether to send you checks or not. Right. So, but people feel like, wow, if we, if we went to all the salespeople and figured out how much they can do and this and that and forecast this and revenue this, then we'll be able to plan for getting a hundred million in, in sales. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, Like, I I liken it a bit to pacifier, right? You know, the pacifier really doesn't have a real functional use. It doesn't change things at all, but it makes the baby feel better, right? So planning is a pacifier. It makes you feel like what you've planned may actually happen. Um, Strategy is making choices that set you up so that good things happen uh, uh, to you. I'd rather I'd rather spend my time setting myself up for people to want to send me money, than planning what I'm going to do when they send me their money, uh, because they may not send me their money if I haven't, if I don't have a strategy that makes my product unique from others, my service, my offering unique from others, and a compelling thing for them to uh, to want to buy. But it's harder because it involves making choices. Right, saying we're going to do this stuff and not that stuff. Why are we doing just this stuff and not that stuff? You can make revenues doing that stuff. No, nope. we have to do this stuff super well so people are compelled to pull money out of their pocket and hand it over to us for a fantastic service uh, uh, rendered uh, to them. Um, so, so planning, writing stuff down that you imagine is going to happen. Like you can actually plan. Like, think about it this way. You can plan costs, right? Because who's the customer of your costs? You. You decide how many people to employ, how many raw materials to buy, how many square feet to lease, da da, 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 da da So you can actually plan that out. And I'm not against that, as long as you have a strategy that says why we're spending these costs on these things and that things. Uh, who's, your, who's the customer of your revenues? Other people. So you actually it's a fantasy to plan that just a fantasy it's it's one of the you know there are hundreds of millions of person hours spent every year doing a useless activity which is revenue uh, revenue planning um, and by the way i i always eat my own dog food i never give advice on something that i don't do myself and i abolished when i was running the strategy firm that that i used to uh, that i used to co- monitor. co-head monitor company what? i abolished revenue p- uh, planning and we had our best year ever Ever. Um, and we just said, you know, we said to all the partners, you know, here's the costs we put in place, the people we put in place and whatever, whatever. you know, go sell good work to whoever you can sell good work to. Boom.
0: I know your secret. Your secret was you put the emphasis on how to grow and, and provide value. I was going to say if I were if someone came to me and said, "How can I apply what Roger's talking about on the overemphasis on planning, I would say go back to the first book and I don't know I know you remember this, but there's what is true and what needs to be true, yeah. what needs to be true for revenues to go from here to here absolutely do it no no exactly. <laughs> and that's
1: what you and most all, important that's what you all did yeah, Martin, most important question what all did a monitor yeah important most important question in strategy is not what is true it's what would have to be true uh and, and, and again and,
0: i'm am pl- quoting you yeah
1: yeah and, and and it's true you you try to figure out what would have to be true for this great thing to happen and then you work to make those uh, those things true and then good things will will happen uh but wishing this is, this is back you know what am i the best thinkers that the world has ever seen and one of my favorites is Aristotle. And, and he talked about happiness, right? And he said, if yes. and now he's only talking fourth century BC, they only talked about men. Then if a man uh, sets out in, a, in his life to be happy, he's unlikely to end up happy. If a man sets out to live a good life by which he meant a sort of a life of service to, to others, he will probably end up happy. The fact that we want something does not make it more likely that we will get it right right you You have to ask the mechanism by which this thing uh, happens and the mechanism by which, for example, your profitable or shareholders do do well the method is to serve customers great and forget about actually uh, uh, forget about trying to be happy. Uh, if you try to be happy, you're going to end up miserable. Don't try to, uh, to uh, uh, increase shareholder value. Try to run a great business and guess what will happen, right? You know, uh, people will ship you uh, enough money that your shareholders will do just fine. So that's in some sense. I mean, that, that is sort of the new way to think kind of theme, which is you got to explore your models, And ask, is the model I'm using producing the results I want? And if it's not, don't try harder. (laughs) Dump it and think about a different uh, way to approach it. And that would be the case for for what we just talked about.
0: Speaking of Aristotle, you mentioned, I believe, I think in your second book, uh, you mentioned the word metaphors. You brought up metaphors, I I believe. And I'm going to throw out a metaphor for you. And it's my way of saying you need to read Roger Martin. Uh, names like, well, you've already mentioned Dan Pink, but I would say names like Clayton Christensen. He wrote a lot of books, didn't he? He did. Uh, Great Edward man. Hess. I, I am a huge fan of Edward Hess. He's been yep. on the show. I, okay. I just admire him. Uh, Rita McGrath is someone mm-hmm. I highly, I, I respect. But if you like those writers, we need to have you on our radar, and I am embarrassed that I, I, I'm i going to be reading some more of your books. Uh, I, I've now read two. Now it's going to be three and then four, and I'll keep reading. The other comment I want to make is I've got a ton of questions. If you ever come across a podcaster that says, Roger, I want, inter- I want to interview you. What can I ask you? Send them to me. I'll give them a hundred questions. <laughs> um, well, so th- th- this is the This is CFO bookshelf. I already know you're you're a reader. You read a lot. Uh, You read the classics, but this would be a hard question. What what are some books that every business and financial leader? What what would you encourage
1: them to be reading? Um, I'd go. I go back. I I, I do read the the classics to a great extent. I would read um, uh, Art as Experience. the the, the the fantastic, fantastic uh, Dewey book, um, John Dewey, the great American pragmatist philosopher. It has so much applicability to uh, what's going on in the world now. Um, I would read Overcoming Organizational Defenses by Chris Ardris, an extremely difficult book to read, but it is uh, it is just, f- you know, fabulous Uh I would read Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. I mean, again, I'm, I have oddball, oddball reading interests. Uh, um, I read Don Shern, the uh, Reflective Practitioner. Um, that, those are the ones. Can, that... Can, oh, and, and anything, any of the thirty-nine books read, uh, written by Peter Drucker. Anyone, effective executive, you're smart to read that. But but you could have you could have. Flipped a coin a bunch of times on, on Peter Drucker books and, and read something spectacularly uh, uh helpful.
0: I don't think you are a weird thinker. Uh <laughs> I did my homework, uh one of the pieces of fiction you like, uh The Lord of the Flies. Yes, and it's I like do. I get it. I know I now know, I know why he likes that. Yeah. So I, I love the idea that you read widely. And I wish some CEOs would quit reading business books and read some of the books that you are describing. Yeah
1: yeah i i i i mean there are good business books uh there i'd like to think that some of mine are 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 worthy but there is a wide world of of things that you can read that that make you a, make would make you a better uh business person and again i know we've been heaping praise on them but ag he reads everything, like everything under the sun, uh, and that's one of the reasons why he's he's so sort of sort of thoughtful about uh, about
0: I cannot thank you enough. This has been an honor. Uh, congratulations on the new book. I have a feeling this will not be the last one. And thank you for your writing on 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 Medium. It's addicting writing. <laughs> uh, just, just keep at it, sir.
1: I will. And, and thanks. Thanks. This is both a gracious interview and a really interesting uh, one. I love these more conversational uh, uh, podcasts and, and you do it super well. So thank you for having me.
0: You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandhi. A New Way to Think by Roger Martin. There are some great, great lines in this book. For instance, there are no right or wrong answers, just better ones and worse ones. Another natural science explains the world as it is, but a story can describe a world that does not exist. Here's one, ordinary words convey only what we know already. It is from metaphor that we get the best hold of something fresh. And regarding IT, HR, R&D, finance, operations, with respect to strategy, what is the implicit current strategy of the function? So if you work in HR, finance, marketing, what is the implicit current strategy of your function? And then what are the strategic priorities for the rest of the company? And then we talked about this, mistaking planning for strategy is a common trap. And I thought this was profound. Revenue planning, getting the number is not the main thing. Getting the numbers, the dollars, not the main thing. Planning how to get and keep customers. Is And that's in the context of revenue planning. And I do recommend the book, Five Stars. Here are some new terms and com- concepts that you will enjoy reading about. Reinforcing rods. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you what that is. You have to read about it. Reinforcing rods. Familiar solutions usually trumps the perfect one. Cumulative advantage. Familiarity barriers. Strategy, what would have to be true. Now that concept comes up in playing to win uh, one of his earlier books. And Decision Factories, outstanding section in the book. And then there's a concept of flow to the work structure and then also servile strategy. Excellent book, Roger Martin. You are phenomenal. Love your writing. I love the way you think. And I also like the way... You make your writing practical, pragmatic, very concrete. Excellent. And please keep it up. Hey, we need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark for CFO Bookshelf.